Wow, what a privilege to be in the house of the Lord. What a privilege to be in the house of the Lord. Jesus' name. I'm going to read to you from the book of Judges, chapter 1. It says, Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. And Judah said unto Simeon his brother, Come up with me into my lot, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with thee into thy lot. So Simeon went with him. Judah went up and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. And they slew of them in Bezek, 10,000 men. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek. And they fought against him. And they slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adonai Bezek fled. They pursued after him and caught him, cut off his thumbs and his great toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Three score and ten kings, having their thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table. As I have done, so God hath requited me. They brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. Now, most of the time, I just uh, preach the word of the Lord and... And that's enough. But uh, I will stay within the word of the Lord during this message. But I will direct a lot of my comments into what is trying its best to tear this country apart right now. I'm going to ask you a question. Are you a brother or are you a king? You may be seated. In Leviticus chapter 21 are given the requirements to be a priest. There are also many verses there that highlight things and conditions that if they exist in your life, then you are exempt and you basically are disqualified from ever being a priest. In chapter 21 and verse 19, there's a simple verse that says, or a man that is broken-footed or broken-handed. This was a king who understood how important it was to an Israelite to have your physical body intact. To this day, if you're an Orthodox Jew, you cannot be buried in an Orthodox cemetery if you have a tattoo. It's not by chance that the very first thing that the Nazis did when they took Jewish people captive in the Second War is they tattooed a number on their arm. It was heartbreaking to an Orthodox Jew, and this was just as devastating to an Israelite if you didn't have your thumbs 
or you didn't have your big toes. Names have always been important to me. If you're a cursory student of the word, you know that the word for Lord is Adonai. This is Adonai Bezek. Adonai, of course, means Lord. Bezek means lightning. He is the Lord of lightning. He's an Old Testament picture of the enemy of our soul. A lot of noise, a lot of flash, but he never builds anything. He just destroys. John 10 and 10 said, when the thief comes, he will steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Most translations says he will kidnap, he will kill, and then he will mutilate. The enemy of your soul is going to do everything he can to destroy you. If you've ever been around law enforcement, some of you here tonight are involved in law enforcement. You know that when you get into mutilation, it is almost without exception a crime of extreme jealousy and hatred. I promise you, you are the ultimate creation of the Lord, and the enemy wants to do everything he can not to just kidnap you, stop you. He wants to mutilate you and destroy you. It's not by chance that uh, those prophets of Baal cut themselves. When they took Samson, they just didn't chain him up. They plucked out his eyes. The demoniac of Gadara would cut himself. Bible said in the book of Amos, chapter 3 and verse 12, Thus saith the Lord, As the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs, or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out of them that dwell in Samaria. The rhyme says, All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Well, we're not just dealing with any king here. The Lord that we serve has the ability. If all you have left is a leg or a piece of an ear, <laughs> he can put you back together. This God that we serve is a restorer. He's a restorer. Ladies and gentlemen, you can do thousands of things wrong. And all you have to do is one thing right. And it can change your life forever. I don't care what's in your past. I don't care what mistakes and what terrible judgments you have made. When you make the decision to serve the Lord, it changes all of that. Because sometimes all he has left to work with are a few pieces. But he can put Humpty Dumpty back together again. When the dinner was done, this king would push himself back from his table and throw the scraps that were left over from what I'm sure was a very sumptuous meal, threw it under the table to the 70 kings that he had chained underneath of his banquet table. And that was the entertainment for the evening to watch those used to be kings and the clanks of those chains scramble for those leftovers and the scraps from this man's dinner. 
no thumbs, no toes. This king had done everything he could to take away any hope that these people would ever have a ministry. And when he was finally caught by these two men, I wish I had time to deal with this, but we don't. But it wasn't just Moses, it was Moses and Aaron. And they were replaced with Joshua, but it wasn't just Joshua, it was Joshua and Caleb. Now we're into Judges. It's not just Judah, it's Judah and Simeon. God has spoken to Judah, told him, I'm going to give you this victory. But Judah went to his brother Simeon. Judah means praise. Simeon means obedient one. And when he went to his brother, he said, I need your help to accomplish what I know God wants to do in my life. And these kings, 70 kings, were not able to topple Adonai Bezek. But two men were able to do something that 70 kings never could. And I'll tell you why. They were brothers. And we are in a time right now when we've got enough kings. We need brothers, sisters. We need oneness. We need oneness. We've called ourselves oneness Pentecostals for years. It's time to be more than just oneness in doctrine. It's time to be together. And uh, this is interesting to me because I don't think we're ever going to be able to accomplish what God wants in our life without an obedient brother to be in the harness with us. You read the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9 and verse 2, he said, when I, Daniel, understood by the books, reading Jeremiah, the, the, the number of years that were determined that Israel would be in bondage 70 years. Now, we still have the book of Jeremiah. And it's there twice, but one of those times is Jeremiah 29 and 10. Here's Daniel, who's in Babylonian captivity, and he reads Jeremiah, and Jeremiah says, you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. Daniel does the math. He realizes 70 years is almost over. But now get into verse 3 and 4 and later on in Daniel 9. And he said, I understood we were going to be in captivity for 70 years. And then he says this, I started to pray. I started to fast. I started to repent for myself and for my people. And the question is obvious. Why in the world would you pray and fast and repent if you already know what God's going to do? And the answer is just as rhetorical and it's just as obvious. The answer is, I don't want to just know what God's going to do. I want to be involved. I want to be involved in what God is doing. Robert E. Lee, in uh, 1863, wrote out his battle plan for the next six months. It was known as Special Order 191. He sent it to his generals. And as the story goes, an Indiana soldier in the Ewan Army was walking across the field and saw a bundle in the grass and kicked it. And it was an official-looking document wrapped around three stogies, three cigars. We don't know whatever happened to the cigars, but what is interesting is when 
That man, Barton Mitchell, opened up. Someone had dropped Special Order 191. And the Union Army had within their possession Robert E. Lee's plans for the next six months. They kicked it all the way up to George McClellan, who was the uh, general of the Union Army, and he did nothing with it. And the war would be waged for another two years. It could have been stopped a year and a half before. The story goes that Lincoln went to George McClellan and he said, General, if you're not going to use the army, I'd like to borrow it this weekend if that would be okay. They've criticized our president for releasing an army general recently, but he's way behind Lincoln. Lincoln, find, fi he fired five generals before he finally came to U.S. Grant. McClellan's compromise, and he was so angry. Uh, McClellan ran against Lincoln in the next election, thought that he was better suited to be president than Lincoln. And, uh, but um, he chose U.S. Grant. McClellan said, he's a drunk. To which Lincoln replied, I wish I could find out what brand of whiskey he drinks. I'd give a gallon of it to all of you. We are in that position, ladies and gentlemen. We know exactly what God wants to do. And we know exactly what the enemy wants to do. We have the war plans. What are we going to do with them? You want to know why God took Enoch? I made some people, they were just so frustrated when I said this years ago. I'll tell you why God took Enoch. It said he was not. He was not. And people said, what in the world are you? Because the word not in Hebrew means less without nothing. I'll tell you why God took Enoch. He was a nobody from nowhere who had a new birth in his life. And when that happened, it changed everything about him. Because nothing is impossible with God. And we've used that scripture, and I believe appropriately, we say God can do anything, but it means more than that. Listen to it very carefully. Nothing is impossible with the Lord. It means that I don't care how dismal and how bleak and how dark it gets. If you have the Lord with you, it is impossible for you to ever say you have nothing. Because if you have him, you've got enough. Jesus went to disciples and he said, do you have any meat? And they said, we have toiled all night and caught nothing wrong. I'm here now. Who else but Jesus would ask you to try again in the very place that you have failed again and again and again? And he said, cast your nets on the right side. The Bible, it says nets, but it said they cast their net. They didn't throw the nets, plural. They threw one net. They encompassed a great cloud, a draught of fish, it says, to where the net is breaking, to where their pals who have already beached their boats and their nets are already drying on the racks, they're screaming, come out here and help us. That's my idea of a harvest. Revival's what goes on in the church. 
Harvest is where, or revival is what goes on in the church and harvest is what goes on in the lost. I, what, what I would like to see happen is for us to have such a harvest here that we call our area pastors and say, we have 10 families up there by where you live. We don't have enough people to teach Bible studies to them. Would you teach Bible studies to these people? Have you ever heard of a pastor giving another group of people to another pastor because he didn't want any of the harvest to be lost? That's the Bible way. <laughs> That's the Bible way. Do you, we have nothing. Listen to this verse. Perfect peace have them that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. And people say, oh, that means we should never be upset. That's not what it says. It said nothing should offend you. If you're not baptizing anybody, that ought to offend you. If nobody's being filled with the Holy Ghost, that ought to offend you. If nobody's going into growth track and other advanced classes and nobody's opening up their ministries, that ought to offend us. <laughs> Nothing is offensive. Because God said, if you got me, don't you ever say you don't have anything. Nothing is impossible with the Lord. This, this is Bible here. They, 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 they it's, <laughs> don't, you, don't you get it? See, I, I was praying this week and, and I came by the church and just on a fluke, just start saying, Lord, I want that Cornelius angel. I want that Cornelius angel. I, 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 I that, that, that angel, it said his prayer and his giving came up before the Lord and an angel visited Cornelius and said, your giving and your prayers have come up before the Lord and I'm gonna take you to a place. I'm gonna take, I wanna meet people in this city and say, are you a pastor? Yes, I am. Does, does your church have a big white steeple on it? Yes, as a matter of fact, it does. Is, is it, is it, you know what, God showed me that in a dream and said that if I, I'm gonna find somebody that pastors a building like that and they're gonna show me. I believe those, see angels never die. The angel that was in, in, in the lion's den with Daniel is still alive. The angel that was with those boys in the furnace is still alive. The angel that led Peter out of the inner, Paul said, there stood by me this night, the angel of the Lord. There is an angel that can come into a city and find the praying people looking for truth, looking for insight. And I'm saying, God, I want that Cornelius angel to come to this city and to begin to minister to people that I don't know, but you know. See, Israel was the diadem of the Lord. They were the diadem. What does that mean? It, mean, it means God took Israel. See, if, if you read history, it, it, it's just other countries, that they, they felt sorry for Israel because they only had one God. They called him God poor. And we've got lots of gods. Israel's only got one of them. But read that scripture, you're gonna find it. They were the diadem. What does that mean? It means God took Israel and took them way ahead of everybody else and gave everybody else a point of reference to come towards. That's why there's all the difference in the world between someone who has this revelation and walks away from it and someone who doesn't have this revelation but is coming to it. Our job as the church is to be ahead of the others, to give people something to come towards, something to come 
two. That's why the Bible says in the book of Mark 5 and 25, a certain woman. Uh, the, the word certain has two, two definitions. It means a very particular person or a very determined person. You read the New Testament and it's there again, a very, a very certain, a very certain soldier, a very certain woman. We need to be that kind. We need to be a determined group of people, certain that when we go to him, something is going to change. I'm a hillbilly kid. I am nobody from nowhere, from a small little coal mine town called McKinleyville on the banks of Buffalo Creek. That's where I was raised. I'll continue to affirm that's where I, I want to be an Enoch. He was not, he was nothing. God can do something with people that don't think there's something special. I am not a king. I'm just a brother. I just want to be in league with another obedient spirit and say, I can't get this done by myself, even though I know God told me it's gonna happen. I've gotta have enough sense to be in the harness with another brother and with another sister because the day of the Lone Ranger is over. The solo acts are a thing of the past. This is duos where two or three are gathered in my name. This is about being in league with one another in the name of Jesus Christ. Look at those demons that came there and said, have you come to torment us before our time? Absolutely. You read the book of Acts, in the book of Acts 12 and four, when they got that apostle, the Bible said, they were, del they were delivered unto him four quaternions of soldiers. What's that mean? That means every six hours, they're changing out the guard. Why? You tell, you ask this guy, who's afraid of who? Who's afraid of who? They're not gonna let one guy be chained up with that man all day long because they know before the day's over, he's gonna be converted. He's gonna start believing the message. So every six hours, they're changing the guards. You gotta look at this enemy and understand what we're dealing with. I want to know, let me, when you think of Satan, do you think of a trio? But let me give you some Bible verse. He is the father of lies. He is the son of perdition. He is an evil spirit. So he's father, son, and spirit. But I don't ever think of terms of him being a trio. I don't ever think of that. But the enemy of our soul has done the best that he can to divide up our God, separate father from the son, separate from the Holy Spirit because he understands the value of division. How would you like to be a devil right now and you know you backed the wrong horse? You know you're on the wrong side. Why have they never voted Satan out of office? Because they know their only hope is to stay together. We are called oneness Pentecostals. Isn't it time to be more oneness than just doctrine? Isn't it time to be together and understand the value of our brothers and our sisters? Isn't it time for us to get the revelation of that? Satan knows more about division than we will ever know. You know what the Greek word for Satan is? Diablo. You know what the Greek word for slander is? Diablo. Gossip is when you tell something that's not true and it shouldn't be repeated and it hurts people. Slander is when you tell stuff that is true and you shouldn't have repeated it. Oh, we don't ever gossip. Everything we say is true. There are some things that don't ever need to come out of our mouth. 
Bible said would bring a railing accusation against him. I'm telling you that when we are putting our mouth on our brother and sister, we're doing Satan's work. We're doing his work for him. Paul, when I read the epistles of Paul, uh, two thirds of the New Testament, there are two messages I find within every epistle. Every epistle, Paul talks about two things. Number one, he said, I'm the apostle. I'm the boss, you're the applesauce. You got that? I'm the chief, I'm the, uh, you're just the Indians. You got that? You work for me, I'm the apostle. I'll tell you another thing he talks about in almost every one of his epistles. You are called to be saints. I'm the apostle, you need to be a saint. But he breaks precedent in the book of Philippians. Because in Philippians chapter one and verse one, this is what he said. Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. Please notice how he begins this. He doesn't state, as he does in almost in every other epistle, Paul an apostle, not this. He said, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And he said, I'm not writing to people who are called to be saints. I'm writing to people who already are. And he said, I'll tell you why you are something that the others aren't, because you're with your leadership. You are with your bishops and you're with your deacons. And when we have that kind of oneness and harmony, nobody's gonna be screaming, I'm in charge, I'm the boss, I got the corner office with the windows, I got the microphone, I got the platform, I got the stage. A pastor can be exactly what he was called to be, a servant. And when you get servant leadership going on, something powerful, something powerful happens every time. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. It's just, the Bible said, agree with your adversary quickly while you're in the way. And if you don't, you're going to jail and you're not getting out till you pay every dime to the bailiff. I know in Peter it says your enemy is the adversary, but that's not who Jesus is talking about in Matthew. He's talking about your brother. You're on the road with your brother, but you're fighting with him. He is now your adversary. Jesus said, forget the fighting, agree with your adversary quickly, otherwise you're going to jail. And I've preached to Pentecostals for years who are in jail and all bound up because they're determined I'm gonna win the argument and don't understand the fallout from all of that. Because right after that, it says, if you're bringing your gift to the altar, you're going, you're gonna leave your gift at the altar. You're going back and get reconciled with your brother. You're not taking your gift with you. Your gift stays at my altar until you go and get reconciled with your brother and come back and then you can offer your gift. Notice those men before the Christ child. Remember the, remember the wise men, that's what they're called. It said, and when they came to where the young child lay, the Bible said, they fell down and worshiped him. And then they, they presented gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Too many people are trying to impress the Lord with their giftings, but they didn't give the gifts first. They gave themselves first in worship. Then they gave their gifts. No wonder the Bible said they went home a different way. It's not your gift that he's after. He's after you. You fall down and worship him. Then you can give him your gifts. 
Otherwise, your gifts are staying at the altar until you get reconciled with your brother. And if you're too stubborn to reconcile with your brother, then stay in jail. I don't want to be bound. I don't want my ministry to be tied up. It's not important who wins the argument. What's important is that the kingdom is advanced. You want to win the argument? Fine, you win. Good. Game, set, match. Let's go over. You can't be bound by this, ladies and gentlemen. This is important. Esau, the Bible said, listen to this verse. This is Genesis 10 and verse 9. Talking about Nimrod. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore, it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Compare this with this verse in Genesis 25 and 27, where it says Esau was a cunning hunter. Jacob's brother Esau, cunning hunter. But when you get into Genesis 10, it's talking about Nimrod, and it said that he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. You know what it says in the Hebrew language? It said he was a hunter of the souls of men. It fascinates me if you ever study astrological symbols, if you've ever studied what's called lint, if you ever, the basis of all of this. See, this is the story. Nimrod had a wife named Semiramis. Semiramis claimed to be impregnated with a sunbeam, which is a spurious virgin birth. She gives birth to a miracle boy named Tammuz. Tammuz starts growing and gets killed by a wild boar. She fasted for 40 days, and he rose from the dead, which is a spurious resurrection. And this is where Lent comes from, and this is the beginning of the mystery religion of Babylon. What was the mystery religion of Babylon, the mother-son cult? It morphs through the ages. If you read Jeremiah 44, 17 through 19, He's berating them and judging them for the worship of what was called the queen of heaven. The queen of heaven. Because that mother-child cult spread across the civilized world. In Assyria, her name was Ishtar. Her son's name was Bacchus. In Egypt, her name was Isis. The boy's name was Osiris. In Indy, her name was Issy. The boy was Iswara. In Asia, her name was Sybil. The boy's name was Diosius. In Greece, her name was Aphrodite. Her boy's name was Eros. In Rome, her name was Venus. Her son was Cupid. This morphed into the early church. To all of a sudden, Jesus is all God. And if he's all God, then Mary gave birth to God. And so now it's Holy Mary, Mother of God. Pray for us sinners now. It's just the latest version of this mother-child cult. It's an enemy that's done everything to divide us and help us not worship the one. They said, your mother's out here and she's calling for you. And he said, who is my mother? But whoever hears the word of the Lord and keeps it. See, the purpose of Mary was to bring the holy to the world. Jesus was saying, now that I'm here, don't you dare exalt her. Because it was a great thing when Mary gave birth to Jesus, but it was a greater thing when Jesus gave birth to her. Because Mary was there on the day of Pentecost and needed the baptism of the Holy Ghost, just like everybody else needed the Holy Ghost. You understand what we're dealing with here? This, this is what the enemy does. He makes us exalt the means. 
and the method and gets it all confused because the, 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 the purpose is to get the Christ child to the earth. But no, they're going to exalt the womb that brought the Christ to the earth. I'm glad we never did find that rooster that crowed and preached Peter under conviction. I'm glad we never did find that donkey that, that preached to Balaam. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we, we, we would have put that dude in a display case somewhere and charged five bucks to see that thing because we're memorabilia minded. We, we, you know, we want a bat signed by Mickey Mantle or a baseball signed by Bay Ruth or man, guess what? This is the rooster that preached Peter under conviction or guess what? This is the woman that brought the whole, no, 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 no. He said, you listen to me now. That's what really matters. Please don't just hear me, feel me right now. We don't need kings and we don't need queens in the kingdom of God. We need brothers and we need sisters. We need people that understand the value of one another. You have to understand the value of one another right now. I was so, I was so privileged. I, I wish you could have known my grandmother, Miney. She was such a special lady. My grandpa was a very, very unique man. He, he never finished formal schooling. He was just an old coal miner, but I, I used to watch him do the crossword puzzle from Pittsburgh in, in Penn. And he'd go down to Woolworth and he'd try glasses on, 50 cents for glasses. He'd finally find something he could read with and that was his optometrist, the rack at Woolworth. And he'd, I'd see him put his glasses on and he'd, he'd do the... He'd do the page there. He had the only black family that lived in that little village, Mr. and Mrs. Owens. And I never heard my grandfather or my grandmother ever disrespect those people. In my house is this amazing vase. I should have brought it today. This amazing crystal vase that was hand cut. I don't know how old it is. But it is so obvious to me, it was not made in a, in a, in a press. It wasn't made in, in a mold. It was all hand cut and ground. I don't know how much it's worth. I just know that when Mr. Owens died and Mrs. Owens had to move away to be with one of her kids, she came over to my grandma Miney's house and she said, Mrs. Osman, I want you to have this. It's the most expensive thing we have in our house, but you've been kind to me. I want you to have this. And I've kept it all of these years, and every time I see it, I'm not just amazed at the beauty. I think of the story of what should have been two very biased, prejudiced, old hillbilly people, but who treated people with respect and with dignity and kindness. We are the church of the living God. I don't care what somebody has said about you in the past. Are you honestly going to look at me and tell me you haven't said something stupid about somebody in the past? Are you honestly going to tell me you're ready to throw stones because you're sin free? Don't go telling me that. It doesn't work that way. I'm begging you, forget things that have been spoken in the past. Forget things that the enemy, don't you get it? If it wasn't, if it wasn't George Bush, then it was Clinton and we were mad at Clinton. And if it wasn't Clinton, then it was Hillary. And if it wasn't that, it was Obama. And then it was another Bush. And then all of a sudden, on, on you go. Then it's Obama. Now you got Trump. And if it's not Trump, it's the coronavirus. And if it's not the coronavirus, it's somebody getting killed. On, don't you get what's going on? This is not going to stop. It's going to be one issue after another, trying to keep us distracted, trying to keep us diverted, trying to keep our eye off of the goal and off of the prize. So I charge you and I challenge you to go out in your city and to be the church of the living God.
What does that mean? I'll tell you exactly. There's not a week that goes by that I don't do something for somebody, most of the time anonymously, and they have no idea it was me. I can't wait for restaurants to open up again because Sunday after Sunday, I'd go down here usually to the, to the watering hole down here, whatever what thing's called, you know, the, the, what's that place we go to? Texas Roadhouse. And I'd go in there and I'd just walk in and I'd just start talking to somebody I've never met in my life. And I'd go over to their waitress and I said, I want you to give me their ticket. And they had no idea it was me. I had no intention of them ever knowing. I, it's not about me. I wasn't trying to get them to come to church. I wanted them to say there's still good people in this world. There's still people. I, I'm asking you to go. It's, I'm not asking you to spend a lot of money. I, 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 we've been criticized the last couple of weeks. People said stupid things and all of a sudden we got back to him and said, when was the last time you ever complimented the pastor on his message? When's the last time you were, you do nice things for me and I'm grateful for everything you do, but I'm asking you, you want to do something for me? Don't get me a gift card to a restaurant because I'm, I'm just going to tell you what to do. I give it to somebody else in this church that I know needs to go out to eat and can't afford it. That's what I do. You want to give me something, give me cash or give me a woodcraft gift. That's what I like. I, I, I buy machines for my wood shop. I, I, I need a joiner and a planer. I've been saving for two years. I get two years yet to go. So your 10 year, your $10 woodcraft, I got, when I go down there, you go, oh my God, here he comes again. And I got stacks and stacks and stacks of them things. And that's what I do with that. I'm just asking you, you want to give something, go back to Carissa Olson in that, in that nursery and say, I want to send you and your family out to dinner. Say something to this worship team. Say something to the ushers. Do you realize how clean this building is? Do something for the Hebbles. Do something for the team that cleans between services. Do something amazing for people. People. Do it anonymously. Be the church of the living God. When you grow the grocery store, intentionally pick out somebody and just talk to them and be kind to them. Be a servant. Be a brother. Be a sister. Let's stand. Let's stand. Let's stand. Amen. These people are skilled. Skilled. Saul said, call me, call me a, a musician. Call me someone that can play skillfully. You read that Bible and two times, Saul threw a javelin at David while David's trying to comfort him. And I'll tell you what never happened. Saul never, or David never picked up the javelin and threw it back. These people are gonna play and sing skillfully. If you want prayer, amen. Spirit of harmony and unity is where God works. God can do amazing things here right now in this place. If you want special prayer, you come and this prayer team will pray for you. If you don't want to do that and you want to stay in your seat, I'm cool with that. But whatever you do, in the seat or up, it's worship. Magnify God. Make a pledge and a covenant with me that the way we're going to address this whole thing is I'm going to be a child of God. I'm going to be a legitimate brother to somebody and a sister to someone. And I'm going to show myself kind and I'm going to be a witness. The Bible said we are ambassadors. We are from another world and we've been beamed down on this planet. Amen. Something from another world lives inside of us. It's going to look stranger and weirder and goofier as these times go by. But that's our antidote and that's our way to combat all of this hatred and all of this ugliness that's going on right now. I intend to be an agent of change in this community. In Jesus' name, let's worship. Lord Jesus, I magnify you in this house right now. 
I magnify you in this place right now. I do not know who's in this room. I don't know who's all watching online. What I do know is the God that's hearing my prayer right now and whose word I've just done my best to preach. I'm asking you, God, right now that you would touch, strengthen, heal, restore, renew, revive. I'm asking you to mend and repair. I'm believing you, God, to touch Jay Bourne right now. His immune system is compromised, but you can put that thing back together again. If there's one part of the body that you are a master of, it's the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood. I'm asking you, Lord, right now to let the power of your blood flow through his system. In Jesus' name, I pray for Sister Session right now. Believe in you to comfort her. Believe in you to strengthen her family. 